Hey, it's Broken Office Chair, a podcast produced by Alternatives. Broken Office Chair is hosted by Alternatives Executive Director, Bessie Alcantara. Bessie is a Chicago native, first-generation Salvadoran Mexican-American who's passionate about dismantling systemic racism. In each episode, Bessie will be joined by her friends and colleagues who are ready to speak candidly about their experiences as people of color in their various professions. In the episodes, they'll address topics such as issues in the nonprofit sector, racial equity, DEI in practice, and much, much more. So stay tuned. Today, I am joined by Analia Rodriguez, the Leadership Investment Program Officer at Field Foundation. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, kick us off. You were an executive director and now you are in philanthropy. Yes. What sparked up that switch for you? I think, you know, I, after being an executive director for like six years, I knew that I wanted a break. I didn't want to be in charge of anything anymore. I didn't want to be responsible for many things. So I think, I don't think philanthropy was my first, um, what I wanted to do at first. Uh, but this position specifically opened up and I feel that I applied for the position, not necessarily to be in philanthropy. Uh, it's leadership investment. I come from a background in organizing. So leadership investment is organizing and it just seemed like the keep doing what I've been doing all these years, just in a different context. Uh, so I don't have a regular program office officer position where you have grantees and you have organizations in your portfolio. I have folks, so I run the Leaders for New Chicago Awards. Um, and then I support the leaders who get the award, you know, in whatever shape or form they may need. Uh, so it's really like investing in leaders uh, who get the award, you know, moving forward. So it's very exciting. Um, but yeah, like that's how I ended up in philanthropy and a field. So I think that there's this natural tension between executive directors and philanthropy given what the relationship has historically looked like. What have you like learned since you switched to the other to the dark side? To the dark side. (laughs) I have I have moved (laughs) to the dark side. (laughs) And it's not that dark. (laughs) I think there's a curtain in between us that just kind of keep blocking us from like really learning about what's going on. Um I think in when I was uh an E D when I was on the other side it was just always this talking about the board of directors and the president of the foundation and it was this kind of like big thing that it was kind of blurry and now that I'm in it you know just recognizing that it's people uh we're all people in different positions with different privileges um just like we are in the nonprofit, right and some of the same uh things that happen in the nonprofit happen in philanthropy and we go with trends and but also it's about recognizing your privilege and where you're at now Mm-hmm. You know, because you have a closer relationship to the money that organizations and communities need. So it is a big, I do feel that kind of privilege and responsibility that I, well, you know, in the job that I'm in. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey. Um, lots to learn. I've been in it for a year and a half. It's going to be two years in October. And it's just been a learning experience. First, it was like learning about the awards and the amazing people who have gotten the award. And then just learn the ins and outs and try to build community. Uh, somebody gave me an advice to actually build community within 
philanthropy, like find your people and find who you align with and your values align with. So I, I think that's something that I've been trying to do, you know, figure out community within philanthropy and what does that mean? And it's pretty cool that quite a few people that come from community organizers are now in philanthropy, mm-hmm. which can also be a challenge for philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like where I've been finding kind of like my place and, and where where I want to be there. But it's definitely a big change. The pace is completely different. And <clears throat> now I feel like I was in the fire. I was like you in the middle of the fire, trying to put it out, like just running around. And now I'm seeing the fire from a distance, and it's also that I'm also struggling with, you mm-hmm. know, how do you, how are you in this position and not answer the immediate needs of people? You know, we know philanthropy can tend to be slow, um, so that's really, that's sometimes where the frustration comes from, but I wish we can tackle issues on the ground a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am lucky that I'm a field, so we're pretty small, Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of staff and, and our grant making. So it's less bureaucratic. I have access to the president on a daily basis. I have access to the board if I want to. So it's like it's not as, you know, as cumbersome as like a bigger foundation. Uh, yeah. But there's still bureaucracy and rules and regulations. And I think there's this, you know, um, those kind of things that we got to navigate. But at the end of the day, I feel like I am accountable to the folks that are in my portfolio, the leaders, the grantees, and that's where that's why also I'm there, you know, to make sure that hopefully more resources or resources are not taken away from our communities. I have a different question for you. Yes. Do you miss being an ED? No. <laughs> you <didn't even> hesitate. <laughs> no, it's funny because it's come up repeatedly, like the uh, constant burnout. Mm-hmm. of folks of color in leadership positions. Yes. And so we have one here that made the switch. And so I was like, you don't actually, you don't miss it at all? I miss having access to all information. When I was VED, I knew exactly where every penny and paperclip was. You know, like yes. I knew every single thing and I can see from a bird's eye view, I miss that. Mm. Because now I'm in a position where I have a supervisor, I have a president, I have a board, you know, like, I am a program officer. I am not the president of foundation or a director. So it's it's different. I miss miss that access to information, but then the burnout and what that information comes with, the responsibility. And like when I was the executive director, I felt the weight of the organizers, the membership, the staff, everyone. And it was like, you know, constantly trying to figure it out how do we make this work? Mm-hmm. So those folks are okay because then in return, the membership of the organization will be okay if we're all healthy and like, you know, well-resourced, then the membership we can organize and we can mobilize. Um, but it's a huge responsibility. I don't miss it. I ended up with shingles once. I ended up with like, uh, and I was too young. I didn't even know the dermatologist is like, you're too young for this. You're Yeah, it's something that you normally get in like your 60s. In your 60s. And there's a vaccine that you can get in your 50s. And he was like, I cannot even give you the vaccine because you're too young. <laughs> um, but they were like, are you stressed? Are you eating well? Are you like, tell me what's going on? And I was dehydrated, overstressed, um, not eating well. Another time I had some respiratory issues too that I ended up in the hospital. 
in the ER and it was just like you know running around like a crazy mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. and I learned a lot I learned a lot and also like I felt that it's like it was my responsibility to also show other people what it's like to be in the movement and to actually like um, do this community work so I was like thinking about the other organizers and how they were looking at me you know so then I started changing and just being like I do need a break I need to take vacation I need to not work that hard um, mm-hmm. but I've seen other people like in worse conditions than I was mm-hmm. um, because a lot of executive directors you have many hats it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where you're at you have many hats mm-hmm. it doesn't matter um, but it also like there's a lot of times there's not a development person, so you end up writing grants, and there's mm-hmm. no operation person, so you buy lean the toilet paper for the organization. Um, you know, sometimes there's no enough organizing staff, so you end up also organizing and doing some programmatic work. It's a lot. Um, yeah. And I feel like even with us, I, I mentioned to you that we've gotten really big. Mm-hmm. For me, it's also not right now the learning curve of always having been at a smaller organization. Mm-hmm. And now we have all these resources, right, that I haven't historically had. But how do you work with these folks? Like, we're bringing in an HR director for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. how do you start working with these folks in a way? Because I'm so used to having so much control. Yeah. Nope. You got to <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Don't. Don't. Like, that's the one thing that I was like, it was a learning, too. It's like, mm-hmm. I have to let it go. And sometimes I see people, like, people will come to me and, like, we want to do this thing. And I was, like, I can already see it's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. But I'm, like, you know what? You want to do it. This is your thing. Go for it. I'll be here when it all crumbles on. And sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it was a great idea yeah. and it actually worked out. But letting go of that control, yeah. yeah. I suggest you let it go. It, this is it's not Still healthy. working on it. I've been slowly letting things go. Um it's, it's funny, I was having a lot of health issues and I went to, after a couple of like Western medicine doctors told mm. me there was nothing wrong with me, I went to a functional medicine doctor. Yeah. And one of the things that they found was that my cortisol level was really elevated. And she's mm. like, do you have a lot of job stress? I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm an executive director. <laughs> and she was like, is there any way to lower that? Like, can you delegate more? And I was Ooh. like, my team is in the exact same situation that I yes. am. They're also running themselves ragged, right? Yes. And so it was just really amusing to hear her say that because we did this huge growth without really putting resources into infrastructure for Mm -hmm. a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so this year is the year that we said, okay, we're going to put resources into infrastructure. And when we did an analysis, we're literally doubling the size of our director's team. Wow. Yeah, you have Because we've gone so long without doing any sort of staffing up in that area. Um, But it's funny because one of the things that we, when I came on board, the organization had a history of deficit after deficit. Mm Mm-hmm. And so my first priority was to get us out of that crisis mode from the yes. finance perspective because you're always going to get it on the program perspective. And we're solidly there where we're like, by December, we already know all of the money we're bringing in for the fiscal year, which our fiscal year ends June 30th. So we're lucky in that sense because I know historically a lot of nonprofits are fundraising up until June 30th, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so typically by January, we're pivoting for the new fiscal year. 
But because our budget has grown so much and we're so close to hitting our goal already for this year, I'm already thinking about FY25. Yeah. And so I feel You're like. You're always in the future. You always be yeah. in the future. So I feel yeah. like I can't even relax because I'm like, okay, this needs to yeah. happen for FY25 and this and this. And then my assistant's like, we need to go book out your PTO through FY20. They have and our you have events. have to schedule it. Yeah, I have to. Mm-hmm. I've never scheduled it. Mm-hmm. I've always been like, I want to go to Somewhere. Florida yeah. this weekend. I want to. That's it. Right. No. no, you can't do that. You have to schedule your vacation, your time off. If you could, when you're sick, (laughs) (laughs) or you can't be sick for too long. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. So it's really, yeah. And I think it's like, it's a matter of shifting and changing. I think I was in a similar situation where we had some financial issues when I came as a Mm -hmm. executive director. So I gave myself a goal of five years and to rebuild and open up the positions and build the infrastructure for the organization to keep going. And that's what I did. And that's another reason why I left. I'm like, okay. I set a goal for myself. It's here, and now it's time for someone else. To I just hit the goal that. I set, or I left. I'm looking at my team. Don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're leaving. Oh no! I keep joking about that. <laughs> I mean, it's also healthy to figure it out when it's time. Mm-hmm. You know, for you to to leave and leave. You know, I think it's it's always healthy to have fresh leadership fresh people and all that stuff because you get I feel like you have your blinders and they start closing and Mm -hmm. I felt when I was AD I felt like we're doing great we're doing amazing we're so perfect and I was like no that's not true Mm -hmm. I need someone else to come in and be like find the weak spots and like take it to the next level I was talking to Evelyn Diaz one day about this and she was like you know as she and I'm paraphrasing her but she said something along the lines as like leaders we think a lot about what we're leaving behind and she's mm-hmm. like but we tend to think about it in terms of building our infrastructure and the people and all of our successes and accomplishments mm-hmm. but what we really really leave behind is the shadow work that we didn't do the worst parts of ourselves oh wow and i like oh, been no. thinking about that <laughs> since she that. said that yeah. because i see a lot of the issues that i have as a worker and as a person consistently crop up throughout my organization and i think it's our bias and how we hire and all these different things and our it blind spots true. right our it blind is. spots show up in the work that is true. I don't want to think about it. I <laughs> left the ED. Whatever I left, it's been a year and a half. Um, and it does take time. I was going to say it takes a year and a half. It takes time to recuperate mm-hmm. and to find your thing. And another thing that I found that was really interesting was also your uh, your identity. Mm-hmm. You know, you are the executive director of a nonprofit and you're working all this time. So at some point I felt my identity was tied to it. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm not the executive director of this organization, then who am I? Where is the purpose in life, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm not running an organization? So that one, that also took a while for me to, like, learn how to navigate that, you know, and understand my place as a, you know, not as an executive director, but as a person and trying to figure that out. That was also weird for me. I think that's one area where I think I've been lucky in because I've been able to step away from an ED role before. And one of the things that stood out to me when I was, you know, I traveled for about, I think, 15 months, right? So I got to step away from work completely. Amazing. And um, one of the things that was really stood out to me while I was traveling is that I would meet people and it would only be other U.S. Americans that would be like, Mm -hmm. so what do you do for a living? Nobody else led with those introductions. Everybody else mm. would talk to you about like 
Oh, what brought you to wherever you were? Mm-hmm. What brought you to Thailand? What do you do? How long are you traveling? And they got to know you. And me being an ED once upon a time would not come up. Mm. And so, like, I was able to, like, have who Bessie is completely. To get it out. Yes, yes, independently. And I think that's what's a little bit of a challenge for me is that I loved the life I built independent of being mm-hmm. Bessie the ED. And so how much this role takes over your life mm-hmm. is very challenging to me. Yeah, it is. So keep keep trying to keep that balance, you know? Like, it's. I think it's just healthy and it informs you, you know? I think I got so, like, into this, to being the, you know, working mm-hmm. um, and having work in your, you have the work in your mind all the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you sleep, if you're sleeping, if you're on vacation, it doesn't matter where you are. I have dreams about PowerPoints yes. I need to put yes. together. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, that mm-hmm. happens all the time. So it's like, the more you can step out of it and the more you can take a breather is is the best way to do it. Because I didn't do it and also kind of, like, it was a little shock, you know, and I'm like, I'm talking about it in therapy and I'm like, who am I? What am I doing? You know, one of my folks told me that she was she had a vet, her therapist for workplace therapy. Mm. And she was like, my life, my life. Yes, it's a mess, but I have that together. And she's like, <laughs> but like my work, that's the thing I can't get bound appropriate boundaries around. Yes. And so like that's what she talks to her therapist yes. about is work. Yeah, I need boundaries with both. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm actually decent at my personal life. It's the work that I'm like starting. I started off really good and then all of this, the pandemic happened. And mm. I think it just, that was the only thing because I was isolating solo. Yeah. The only thing that kept my sanity was work at that time. Yeah, yeah. It was something that I think, especially being on the ground when COVID hit, you know, it was so hard and you're just mm-hmm. like doing and you're just like, yeah, you're isolated, but there was so much work that was happening. Yes. Like not everyone, when, like as much as could isolate myself, it was about getting money in the hands of workers who lost mm-hmm. their jobs and it was buying gift cards and running around distributing them and like mm-hmm. mutual aid stuff. So it was, it was really hard. It was really hard. And I also left in 2021 okay so I was I left when it was still it was still happening um because I already had thought about leaving before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and I'm like there's no way I can leave yeah um so then after a while I talked to the board of directors and I'm like it's time it's time that I go one of the EDs I talked to that made the switch to philanthropy was telling me how her board actually approved a seven-month sabbatical Mm -hmm. for her and first of all, I was jealous. I want mm-hmm. a seven-month sabbatical. Who doesn't? I want it. <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> um, but the second piece is she went back to it and made the career switch anyway mm-hmm. because she was so exhausted. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of work, and it is a different pace, you know. And I have friends who told me it's like you made it. You're on the other side. You can rest. You can do this. But there's also something about being an organizer and wanting to, you know, do something that is going to keep you going, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we organize philanthropy? How do I put in my two migrante arena, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my two sons and, and how philanthropy is, you know, it is right now. So that is exciting. But yeah, you definitely want to rest. This is a long run, and we got to learn how to rest. We definitely do. Like, that's a big thing. People are burning out. People 
leave all the time um and it's not healthy for the people and the people make up the movement so it's not healthy for the movement mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which brings me to one of the things that you said you've been prioritizing in your role which is around like building capacity mm -hmm. around like sabbaticals benefits health insurance yeah it's something that we want to do it's definitely something that we're hearing from the ground a lot like i've been hearing from other uh foundations when they talk to their grantees and they're like there's i feel like nonprofit folks community folks are more open to talk about it mm -hmm. i think there was a shift where it was like no this is not enough we got to take care of our people meaning the staff meaning um, their volunteers, their board directors, you know, like what does that mean to give someone a seven-month sabbatical? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to uh, be able to pay for health insurance? You know, a lot of folks don't have health insurance mm -hmm. um, or even have good health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, so then it's it's a lot and salaries are so low as well. Uh, and a lot of people are, I've heard a lot more conversations about like, hey, how much are you paying that organizer? Hey, how much do you pay your mm -hmm. staff? Hey, like there's a lot more openness about it uh, that I hadn't seen, mm -hmm. at least when I was in the nonprofit. Like that was not a thing. Like you do this from your heart and like it's a, it's a thing that you do and you gotta be, you're passionate about it. And then you're there in your 20s, 30s, and by 40, you're like, I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. I got to get out. And that's not healthy. Um, so also this concept of paying dues in order to, I think that there's like the nonprofit and then the generational paying dues mm -hmm. to be able to earn better pay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even people in this position, they're like, oh, Analia, you already pay your dues. You can right. go and hang out in philanthropy. And I'm like, what? I was like, no, like, I still have <laughs> fire in me and I can do stuff in philanthropy too. Like, it's not just, you know. But it's this concept over. of like who deserves to yes. get paid well, who deserves to rest, all of these different things. Yes. It's, I think I, I talked to you about it. It's like things that we're trying to build even into our entry level jobs. Mm -hmm. And so we're not making it a difference between, um, directors or frontline like we think everybody should be paid well everybody should have yes. access to benefits yes so our benefits are structured around um tenure as opposed mm -hmm. to level within the organization good good yeah that's a good way and there's a lot of um creative ways to do it right mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the whole the old business thing mm -hmm. you know you have these directors you have this and like merit pay and like you know mm -hmm. you make more money because you have this title and it doesn't make sense anymore you know and especially after the pandemic with the whole like uh what is it the big resignation and all that yeah. i think that also helped a lot mm -hmm. and kind of show people that we can do things differently and we did it uh, so it's like, how do we keep some of those learnings and like keep building on those? We can't just keep doing what we've been doing forever. And it's kind of sad that now people are trying to go back to quote unquote yeah. normal. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no normal anymore. Th that wasn't normal. That wasn't healthy. And it's like, we, we have the opportunity to do something else. But I also unfortunately see some people like just the, the basic of like, we're going back to the office, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, like, you gotta have a good reason for it because we have already shown and there's 
the opportunity to be in community and outside of an office also makes a lot of sense for a lot of nonprofits. Mm -hmm. um, and even for philanthropy, you know, we could be more in community. We could be, you know, doing more side visits and like also um, just having coffees with mm -hmm. grantees and just learning about what they're doing. You learn so much more in a coffee sit down than in a side visit sometimes I feel, you know? Yeah. When you're more relaxed and you're right. Not trying open. to make a case for the funding. Yeah, no. Just tell me what's up. Tell me how you're doing. Mm -hmm. How's your staff doing? How people are doing? Um, so I think that's important that we move towards that. But yeah, definitely resting um, and trying to figure out. And in philanthropy, we're talking about that too. Mm -hmm. uh, so because we're hearing it from the grantees, there's also this kind of like things that we're doing where it's like, what does that mean? How do we fund sabbaticals? How do we fund salary increases, you know, that's all capacity building. Um, and it's investing in leadership. Because another thing that I've seen is that we're not mentoring each other, you mm -hmm. know? We're not bringing people from the ground up to actually take on the roles of EP, board director member, director of organizing. Because we're running like chickens without heads, doing mm -hmm. all the work and not spending time mentoring. And that's another thing that if you have the resources and the capacity, you have a good salary, good insurance, you have good balanced work, then you'll be able to bring in more people from the ground up to mm -hmm. take on the, the leadership roles that we all have or that we have had. So I think that's another important thing that we're missing. It's like, how do we mentor each other? How do we invest in the leadership of folks on the ground so they can take up those roles? So I think I mentioned to you that uh, Alternatives has a leadership pipeline. Mm -hmm. And whenever I tell folks about it, other EDs, they're like, I've been wanting to do that. Yes. But like trying to get to it has been a bit of a challenge. And for our um, team members, we have the entire executive team there every mm -hmm. once, a once a month, every like on a Friday for the mm -hmm. whole day so that we can all provide support to our staff during that time. And it's a huge lift for us to have me, the finance director, yes. the development director, the program director. Organize like, the schedules. Just yeah. organize the schedules. It's hard. And everybody prioritizes. Oh, we have to set up the whole dates, all the dates for the whole year yeah. in advance yep. so that everybody mm -hmm. knows to prioritize this thing. And I don't know that the people on staff realize what a huge lift it is for us to mm -hmm. prioritize this. But it's been a thing that's been really important to us. And it became even more important because we switched – when I came on board, I had massive turnover, and the turnover mm. was a great opportunity because mm -hmm. we went from being a white-led organization to a POC-led organization. Mm -hmm. Over half of my leadership team used to be white, and yeah. I think less than 10% is white now. And so I was like, as we continue to hire from the communities that we serve, we have um, a responsibility to ensure that folks become the decision makers not just the frontline workers. Yes. And yes. so having them on our executive team, having them on our board. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but, you know, it's not setting folks up for success. If they're, it's not, they're not trained to go into those positions, exactly. right? And exactly. so we're on our second cohort of the leadership pipeline. And I think last year and this year, we've been able to promote two people each time Amazing. that are coming mm -hmm. out. And I'm sure more to come, right? 
And so, but it's nice to be able to pick out folks from our own pipeline. You don't have to go outside and look for the magic unicorn who's bilingual, who mm-hmm. knows all this stuff and have experience because you'll be building the people. And I think it's about prioritizing. Mm-hmm. And it's about stopping. And I think that we don't do enough, I feel, is that we don't stop and reflect. We just do, 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 mm-hmm. do, do, do. And it's like, you got to make time for reflection. And mm-hmm. you got to prioritize it. And you got to set up your dates, you know. You have to do it because if not, you're just going. And it's what push, pushes you out of crisis mode because yes. in, in us being able to push out of crisis mode on the fundraising, it allowed us to spend more time in programs and in benefits yes. and things like that and in pulling out of the benefits because we now have these really cool benefits, including um, we have a $500 wellness stipend. Nice. Um, and I've specifically wanted to, 600, 600. I specifically wanted to do it as a wellness stipend so folks knew that that was what was important to us for you to take care of yourself, right? That's amazing. Um, but those are the types of, as we like knock out a project, it allows us to do some forward planning in other ways. Obviously, mm-hmm. the work is that there's always going to be crisis management, but at least every single day is not crisis management. Yes, yes. How do you build your team? How do you build your support system is really important. But a lot of people don't see it that way. A lot mm-hmm. of people, they're just, you know, it's, it's too much going on. And I understand. I've been there when it's just you don't have time. There's people losing jobs, literally dying, you know. Um, so it's it's hard, but I think it's worth it mm-hmm. um, because that's what we did when I was AD and, and putting time for reflection and and just really trying to figure it out. Like, what is it that we can do to take care of our people? At the end of the day, I always, because it was all folks of color too, um, I'm like, we're part of the community that we're organizing. So mm-hmm. put yourself like me versus you know them or something and like you're part of mm-hmm. the community the workers and stuff that you're organizing so as much um good do you want for those people you should want it for yourself mm-hmm. you know especially you know the organization was in worker rights and we're like we're fighting for the rights of workers so <laughs> you know it's sometimes it's like it doesn't make sense when you're in the organization and see how much you're getting paid and you know yeah for us too, it's also that really strong like anti-racism lens that mm-hmm. we have, mm-hmm. and we can't have an anti-racism lens and then, yeah, that's yeah. I can't have a strong anti-racism lens and then treat people like shit. Like, yes, pay people poorly. Yes, punish them for having a home life. Yes, right? we can't do for that. For caregiving, for being mm-hmm. a parent, for supporting your family you Mm -hmm. know a lot of poc folks we're still in family we still support a community like our immediate family so it's not Mm -hmm. something that you know it's something that we gotta account for and that you you we talked a little you mentioned merit-based raises that was the big motivator for us to get rid of merit-based raises Mm -hmm. because merit-based promotes like increased productivity yeah right and so we want you to not have to worry about your pay if you have to take off to take care of a family member. If mm-hmm. I have an employee that homeschools her child, like mm-hmm. whatever your life is requiring out of you, you shouldn't have to be worried about pay as a result of it. Yes. Or your health insurance. Or your health insurance. Yes. Yes. Or any other benefits that you may have. You have to have those in place. It is hard. I understand. Like people are probably listening and thinking, oh, 
whatever, you know, but it is hard, but I think little by little, it's not going to be done in a year. In, oh, absolutely in, not. No, nah, like two years. It may take three, five years, but it is worth it. And then having a healthy infrastructure in your organization, it is worth it. Um, yeah. I think we're three and a half years in to our like major changes. Mm. And because it was about, I think it was January 2020 when we rolled out our paid parental leave, which I think was like the first major step. And that's mm -hmm. when we did our first minimum wage as an organization mm -hmm. that was independent of what the market said. And um, so we're three and a half years in and we're still not where I would like for us mm -hmm. to be, right? And it's And that's one of the things I have to, because we do a lot of training around this topic and I t tell people, because people are like, how did you do this? I'm like, it's been years. It's a commitment it takes time. every single mm -hmm. year in your budget. And you have to put it in the budget. Mm -hmm. When you create the budget, you start with that. I will mm -hmm. start with that. Mm -hmm. Like how much, what is the salary? And like, okay, I need to go fundraise for that. Not mm -hmm. seeing like what I have, because then you wouldn't have anything. Right, <laughs> right. If you, don't put, if you don't put it in the budget. And then it's funny though, because of that's when you start people don't really think about like your budgets are a reflection of what you prioritize of your values yes mm -hmm. of your mm -hmm. values and i think that becomes really hard for folks yep. but what is the trade-off yes in order to do this there's going to be some things that you give up um for us it has also meant um that historically leadership has given up the salaries and raises that our peers get in order for us to put that back into the frontline folks and mm. be able to increase those wages mm -hmm. at a higher rate than what we would normally get mm -hmm. um, because that's our priority. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, at a certain income bracket, a dramatic, like the, a couple of thousand dollars don't make a much a lot of the difference to us, right? Mm -hmm. But they make a huge difference to the frontline. Mm -hmm. And so how to get them to a thrivable wage mm -hmm. has been more important to us. Yeah, how do you balance it? And mm -hmm. like everything that you support from the ground up makes a huge difference instead of supporting the top, like no, support the bottom. And then people race, race from there and like go places. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I totally agree with that. I can, um, I think having the organizer, the program staff really well taken care of again, then that means that they're taking care of your participants, your members, your clients, whatever you want to call them. Um, and you also show up not tired, not mad, not stressed out. You show up to a meeting with energy and like, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of times people have to like organizers, program staff show up with energy, but the, in the inside they're broken down mm -hmm. they're so tired um so i think the more we can do um to support that the better and i think also accepting that some of these efforts are like what's the word thankless efforts like nobody really knows so every year we have to renew our medical benefits mm -hmm. and every year they go up by 20 30k oh yeah i remember that <laughs> Mm -hmm. If not more, I think mm -hmm. this year they went up it's by so more. Expensive. It's ridiculous. And that's just to keep it even, right? Mm -hmm. It's not even to like um, cut into the percentage that they pay of their mm -hmm. benefits, right? And so every year you have to make this priority of how much you're going to absorb as an organization versus yes. what they pay. 
And the staff may save a dollar or two when we absorb that 50K and then add another 10K because mm -hmm. we want it to take a bigger percentage. So they're not going to feel the way the organization feels what it just did. Yep. We tell them, but they're probably like, you're fine. You have millions of dollars, yes, right? Yes. You're fine. We always say that. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can count the numbers of times that uh, leadership gets a thank you for all the stuff we just spent 10, 20 hours trying to figure yeah, out, right? No. And so you also have to accept that it's like a thankless job. Folks don't yeah. know how hard you're working for them, and that's okay. That's not where your reward yeah. comes in. And that's not their priority either. You know, their priority is taking care and like worry about the clients and the business and, um, you know, the folks on the ground and not the benefits, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I think the more we can do, the better, you know. And I think in this sense also just starting to talk more to philanthropy and also just talking about these issues that are real on the ground, you mm -hmm. know, that are real that are everyday issues. I think it's important that uh, nonprofit leaders and community folks are as transparent as they can, you know, talk to your program officer about, you know, your roof coming down. You know, there was a, a couple of times when I was on ED that the roof collapsed. <laughs> oh my God. So then you got, you got after rain. Yeah, so you gotta like, you know, then you have your computers there, you have your files, you have everything. So it's like, you know, and that may be like that one was the 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 owner of the building fixed it, but you know, if you have your own building, that will be like three, four, five thousand dollars that you need to come up with in an emergency. And you oh, know, this was twenty k when our basement oh, flooded. Yeah, shoot, yeah. So then it's like you know, how can philanthropy also be aware of these issues? You know, not just talk about your programmatic work and like. We're doing amazing with this program, this activity we're organizing. We passed the bill, a law, and but it's also how how do you survive all this? How do you make all this amazing work happen? And it's on the backs of the staff of the organization. You know, it also not even those extreme examples, but like I know non uh, foundations like to give the same fifty k gift as an mm -hmm. example for ten years. And 10 years ago, I, I, I have certain foundations that are still giving the same level that they gave 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And 10 years ago, people were making 30K. Mm -hmm. Their benefits were 10K. Mm -hmm. That covered for the entire... Meanwhile, you have to show that you serve 2,000 yes. people and all these different things, right? And so it's, it covered one person, but today our minimum wage is 51K. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even cover the full salary. Yep. Let's not even talk about benefits and incentives yes. and program supplies and all the other mm -hmm. supervision, all the other things to get folks. Yeah, to and you grew, mm -hmm. you're bigger, you have more people. Absolutely right. Like, I think we need to be able to also talk, I'm curious about the, you know, the give out, like how much foundations give out in mm -hmm. years, you know, like 20 years ago, like you said, it was the same 50K as of now. And it's like, just, I'm curious to learn more about you know, how philanthropy accounts for that, you know, cost of living, uh, all that stuff. Um, you know, so I think there's there's a lot of things that philanthropy can change and do um, to make sure that we're going at the same pace that mm -hmm. community organizations are going. Um, I, I think we need to talk more. I think we need to be more open and really, again, bring up this day-to-day -day issues that we don't talk about. You know, we want to... A lot of times philanthropy wants to see the the amazing program, you know, that play or, uh, 
passing a bill, they want to see all those things, but it's also kind of like you cannot just expect people to do to focus on one thing and then make that perfect. I mm -hmm. think that's why also general operating is so important mm -hmm. um, because then you're able to cover all these things. Mm -hmm. um, there's a need for program specific grants, but general op is usually what we all want and need. And I think that the more we talk about it at the foundations, at the philanthropy level, I think the better. Um, I think it's so, so important. Um, and also just, you know, I, I come from an organizing uh, background and also organizing money is not there, you know, because it's also a little bit abstract. So we also gotta be open to what productivity means, what mm -hmm. success means, what is it that, uh, and we need to learn from community orgs what success looks for you. Mm -hmm. Does that mean raising your staff salaries? Then here's a general operating grant. Does that mean that you're passing a bill in Springfield? Here is the money for that. You just named two things folks don't like to fund. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But that's where we need to talk about it, you mm -hmm. know? And why is that? And what's preventing us from, do, from doing these things? Um, there's a lot of lawyers in philanthropy that's how you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why you need creative people. And I think creativity comes from the ground to be able to change something. I think know? the other piece we're not talking about enough too is that I, I've been talking to a lot of folks and we have a very traumatized staff. We yes. have a lot of folks who have their own trauma, mm -hmm. right, navigating the world. Because with they're their community. Yes, mm -hmm. and then we have COVID and they were working through COVID mm -hmm. in a way because they were essential workers so they were mm -hmm. not able to rest and take care of themselves. Um, I run, for example, we have a mental health team. So they're doing mm -hmm. therapy while going through their own pandemic issues themselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about a staff whose mental health has been impacted in the way that it has, we need additional resources we just do. to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the secondary trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're in the front lines, you're getting all these emotions coming from your participants, from your membership, mm -hmm. from all these folks, and you hear horrifying stories, you know? People dying because of lack of medical care, mm -hmm. people dying or struggling crossing the border, like mm -hmm. people not having the time and resources to support their kid going through school, like not even like having language barriers, like all these things you're getting them from the folks. And I don't think we talk a lot about that, especially in like programmatic staff organizers, how much they carry emotionally, you know? It's, it's. And then we have the site visit where the funders like, so how many young people did you serve? Yes. Why didn't you implement that program the way that you said? What happened with that partnership, right? Mm -hmm. Like, which feel like, like it feels it almost feels like petty questions in comparison to what folks are dealing with. Yeah, and that's why again, transparency and just, I think it has to come from philanthropy and also from community orgs to change that mm -hmm. mentality of you're giving me money. Mm -hmm. It's about we're partners in this. Mm -hmm. You have a goal, you have a self-interest, meaning philanthropy has its own goal, self-interest, and you do have it as a community, so you're coming together as partners to make something happen. And I think that's something that hopefully community folks are really like 
thinking and that's how they see philanthropy and not as this you know thing that is going to save us because that's not the case we're going to do it together if we want to do it um and then also philanthropy has to be real about all this and mm-hmm. and, and have really difficult conversations have with their really board. difficult conversations yes yes mm-hmm. and then just um it's not just about for me being in philanthropy it's not just about giving out grants or awards and giving out money but it's about also like how do we change the way we do things mm-hmm. um and how do we become more like closer to the people that we support you know meaning the leadership of organizations in this case you know the executive directors and we we have to change the way we think and i think that's where the community folks and the organizers that are going into philanthropy that's what we bring you know mm-hmm. we bring all these things and and what we know from the ground um and let's try to make a shift let's try to see what we can do uh to change things because it's so hard and it's harder and diff- every foundation is different yep. that's another thing that i learned every <laughs> single foundation is different there may be some similarities and if you're big or small if you support organizing or service or health education everybody's so different the way they do things which is weird to me that it's i mean it's the same in the nonprofit, but I feel like even just us talking, you know, and it's like, okay, like, I think we need to organize ourselves, you know, you're supporting leadership investment, you're supporting uh, a program for youth participants, and how do those things come together? How do we, like, talk to each other and actually support people from different sides and not do it like, here's your money for your program and you need to train 40 workers on worker rights. You know who's also doing that? Who, I think I mentioned them to you. Who's doing that really well? Mm-hmm. Um, a Better Chicago. Mm-hmm. They've partnered it. with they've partnered with McCormick to give co grants yes. to their grantees. Yes, like stuff like that. And I think again, like it's very much we gotta think creatively and not do what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. At least what philanthropy has been doing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it does take a lot to change institutions that have been in place forever and that have a history and that still have board of directors who may want to do things a certain way um so it's we just i think we gotta we gotta bring these issues and fight for them in philanthropy um especially us who are organizers and come from community um i think we have the responsibility not only to have a job and give money or move more resources to communities but we also gotta think about the structure that we work in um, and the systems that we follow and understand like why do we do things the way we do things and that gets to a lot of privilege gets to racism white uh white supremacy it gets to all those things that sometimes people are not comfortable talking about Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day that's the root causes of what we the issues that we have um so i think there's there's a lot to be done and a lot that we can um we need to do to keep supporting the movement i don't see philanthropy i see philanthropy as a tool to bring resources to community orgs who can then fight the fight and Mm -hmm. you know build a strong movement 
um, I want to believe that. And, and I want to believe that there's changes coming up and that we can do way better for communities. So I think those were really good closing remarks, but I'm going to let you see if you want to add anything for closing thoughts. No, just again, like I think it's time for philanthropy and community orgs to come together to the table and be real and just be really honest about the needs and also just be partners and brainstorm, you know? We can come as a program officer and say like, this is what I'm dealing with, this is the issues that I'm confronting and like brainstorm with the, uh, with the community member, the, the community leader, figure out ways to actually make things work for that community and that organization. I think we gotta see each other as partners and really build trust. And that takes a lot of time because I can tell you in philanthropy there's also the same thing. We don't have time. <laughs> we're running in cycles, we're writing write-ups for the board, we're doing LOIs, we're doing, and that is real, that is very real. And that's why we need to change the institutions and the way we do things. Because sometimes program officers are also overwhelmed and overworked. Um, and that's something that we don't talk about either. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we make space in philanthropy as well to have those trust, to build those trusting relationships with folks? All right. Do you have an online presence or somewhere people can find you online? You can just find me on LinkedIn, um, Analia Rodriguez, Fio Foundation. You can find me there. I'm really horrible at social media, so that's why it's <laughs> like, I am horrible. So feel free to send me a message and don't think that I don't want to respond. I want to be better at it. I want to be better. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. If you're enjoying this episode, we have a few upcoming events that will be perfect for you. Join Alternatives and Broken Office Chair on October 5th at Chicago United for Equity for our second Cocktails and Complicity event. Guest speakers Ayoka Samuels and Leslie Honoré from Broken Office Chair Season 1 will join Bessie in discussing the complex dynamics that perpetuate inequality in the nonprofit sector, such as being a woman of color in nonprofit leadership, the nonprofit industrial complex, the intersection of capitalism and philanthropy, and much more. Come enjoy a cocktail, network with nonprofit friends, and engage in these much-needed conversations. The link to RSVP will be in the show's notes. Have you been personally impacted by a toxic nonprofit? Do you have a nonprofit horror story that you're dying to share? We're right here with you. Join Alternatives for an in-person open mic night where nonprofit friends can gather and share horror stories about navigating the nonprofit industrial complex. Come prepared with your favorite story, poem, or song about the terrors of funder site visits, annual appeals, audits, and more. We invite you to share a drink with colleagues and revel in the joys of nonprofit life. The link to RSVP will be in the show notes. Keep up with everything going on at Alternatives or to donate, you can visit us at our website, alternativesyouth.org. You can also follow us at Alternatives Inc. on Instagram or at Alternatives Youth on Facebook. If you want to keep up with Bessie, you can follow her on Instagram and TikTok at Bessie underscore Alcantara. Broken Office Chair is hosted by Alternatives Executive Director Bessie Alcantara. It's produced, researched, and edited by Catherine Best and Deanna Phillips. Thanks for listening.